Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2, please. Book of Hebrews chapter 2. And we'll read the first four verses. And keep your Bible open, please. As we'll be referring to not only this, but a lot of other portions of Scripture this evening as we go through the message. Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, And was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness. Both with signs and wonders. And with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. According to his own will. Let us pray. Father thank you again for the number that is gathered under this roof. We thank you for every person. We thank you for every head and every heart and every home that is represented here. We pray your blessing to be on them. Those that can't be with us this evening for one reason or another, we ask you, Lord, that you would touch them if they're sick and heal them, strengthen them if they're weak, and refresh them if they're away somewhere else, Lord, this evening or on a holiday break. Father, we thank you for your word that's forever settled in heaven. And we rejoice that thy word is one that findeth a great spoil. And so, Father, may we rejoice as believers tonight at thy word. Rejoice in our salvation, in your goodness, and in your grace. And tonight, Father, as it's been prayed before, if there's one or any in this meeting who knows not the Lord Jesus Christ as their own Lord and personal Savior, we pray tonight, as you have done last week, Lord, we pray tonight that you would bring someone to the foot of the cross, Give them repentance unto life and save them for time and eternity. We love you and we worship you. We need you and we want you. Holy Spirit, we desire your presence in our midst. Now ride, as it were, furiously in your own chariot, which is the word of God, and bring it to every heart, even those who are watching live and those who will watch later, wherever they be around the world, will you bless them? And Lord, would you reach them where they are tonight? We ask it for your glory. We ask it for your name. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The Hebrew writer starts off in chapter 2 and in verse 1 with the word, therefore, therefore. The word therefore is a call to every one of us. It's a call to pay attention. Therefore, he says at the very beginning of this chapter, and of course in the original there were no chapters, it would just run straight into it. And so hence, whenever we look at therefore, it means look back at what our conversation has been. Look back at what has been said in the previous chapter of your Bible and see what was said to us. Therefore, because of it, we then move forward into our scriptural reading. If you were to look at chapter 1, and we won't go through it tonight, but we see the Lord Jesus. He is exalted by the Spirit. He is lifted up by the Spirit of God through the pen of the Hebrew writer And in verse 5, the father calls him, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Notice, this is important. This day have I begotten thee. Verse 6, it says, Let all the angels of God worship him, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let all the angels of God worship him. In verse 8, it says, But unto the son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and forever a scepter of righteousness. And then in verse 9, 
it says, God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The Spirit is emphasizing here that the man Christ Jesus, the Son of God, he's to be exalted, he's to be lifted up and glorified, and that he is to be worshipped. And we see also here that he says, God has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And in the same chapter, in verse 13, it says, But unto which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So here in chapter 1, through the pen of the Hebrew writer, the Spirit is working on him and bringing all of this out, mainly from the Old Testament, of what the Father had said about the Son. Now the Spirit of God is working for us to read tonight of what the Father thinks of His Son, what the Father thinks of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's many people who think little of Him. There's many people who think nothing of Him. Even many Christians don't think much about Him. But the Father thinks much of His Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him, he says, in the banks of Jordan as he is baptized into the river. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he says, this is my beloved Son. Hear ye him again. This is my beloved Son is the words, Agapetus weus. He is my fully grown and matured one, it means. He is the one who calls the love out of my heart. And the Father says, he's precious to me, and he calls my love out. Hence, you and I are to love him. You and I are to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all that we have, and with all that we are, and with all that the Lord can enable us to do. For the Father thinks much of his Son. The Father loves him, and he says that we are to love him and to worship him in return. May I ask you tonight, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love the Son of God? Do you love God's only begotten Son? The Father loves him. And the Father says that we are to hear him And not only are we to hear him, we are to worship him. When we worship him, we worship the Father. When we praise him, we praise the Father. When we bless him and adore him, we bless the Father. Because he says, I and my Father are one. The Father loves his Son and through the Holy Spirit here, he pens through the hand of the writer. And he says, love him, exalt him. And worship him. Can I ask you again, is your life Christ-centered? Is your life Christ-centered? Is all that you do for the glory of Christ? Is all that you have for the glory of Christ? Is all who you are for the glory of Christ? Is your personal life Christ-centered? Is everything you go to do, everything you employ your hand at, Is it for the glory of Christ? Christ-centeredness in our lives. Christ-centeredness in our families. Christ-centeredness in the church. A church without Christ at the center of all that it is is a church that's going amiss. Because the Father loves his Son, yet he gave him to die in Calvary. Think about that. After all that has been said, the Father loves his Son, yet he gave him to die at Calvary for you and for me. What else could we bring the Lord? What else could we give to God? What else could we offer up for our sins? Nothing, because Christ has paid it all. 
What else will we offer on that day but the blood of the Lamb? What else do we trust in but what Christ has done for us? Therefore, Hebrews 2 and verse 1, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Because of chapter 1, as it were, we are to give the more earnest heed. In other words, we have to keep our ears open and we have to employ ourselves and our hearts to what we have heard and what we have read in Hebrews 1. That Christ is the center of glory. I love it when the hymn writer wrote, Center of glory thee I see, wonderful man of Calvary. That Christ is seated preeminently on the throne of God. And here we are told, therefore, because of all that's been said, that Christ deserves all of the glory. So pay attention tonight, will you? Pay attention and listen to what has been said. Pay attention to the greatness of Christ, to the loveliness of Christ, to the majesty of Christ. Because it tells us we are therefore to pay attention because there is a recompense of reward for the good or for the bad. A recompense of reward really means here, payday is coming. Payday is coming. Notice here, therefore we ought to give thanks, the more earnest heed, pardon me, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Notice here what we're being told. Pin back our ears and remember what's been said about him, what the Father thinks about him, but also what the Son has said about his gospel. What the Son has said about his gospel. Notice the words, let them slip, as though, gives the idea of snow slipping off the edge of a landscape, like an avalanche slides off. It gives the idea of food. One Greek scholar says it gives the idea of food being swallowed or gulped down and sliding down the throat, but sticking when it chokes. And with these pictures in mind, we are to pin back our ears and think and listen to what the Scriptures are telling us about the person of Christ, about the work of Christ, about the Godhood of Christ and the Godhead of Christ. To say, pin back your ears and listen, for Christ has brought you the Word of God, for He is the embodiment of the Word of God. He is God himself. It gives you a picture, let them slip of a, of a ship starting to drift on the sea. You see, a ship hasn't put down the anchor. Or if it has put down the anchor, it hasn't had a heavy enough grounding anchor. And so the wind will blow and the, the, the waves will start to move and, and the ship will drift and nothing to keep it taut and in place. And we are to do the same with the Word of God. We are to keep the Word of God in our hearts and always rehearse the Word of God to ourselves and to our families and to our friends and our children that you and I might look at the Word of God and realize the glories of Christ, the wonders of Christ. I wonder, are you grounded in Christ? Is he your anchor tonight? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Are you grounded in the Savior tonight? Are you grounded? Are you sure and steadfast in the faith in Christ tonight? Or are you drifting? Speaking to someone who's drifting in their heart. Backsliding doesn't need to be you go into the world and do the things of the world, you know. You can backslide in your heart and be sitting in church. 
You can backslide in your heart and still be sitting in church. Make sure your anchor is Christ. And you're grounded tonight. So notice here, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in, notice these last days, spoken unto us by his Son. God spoke to Israel through the prophets. God spoke to our fathers, he says, through the prophets. The Spirit of God came and bore the prophets along, it means, worked on the prophets. They gave forth the word of God. They give a prophetic utterance. He says, but now, Christ himself has come. And the Son of God, he has given us the word. He has brought forth God. And he has shown us exactly who our Father is. Notice what Matthew Henry says. The prince of the commentators. I thought this was very good. I quote him, our minds and memories are like leaky vessels. They do not without much retain what is poured into them. You can be in a meeting and hearing the word all the time, every day. And the word is poured into you and the spirit is poured into you. And you can be like a vessel that's filled up and by the time you get home, you have that many leaks in it. You're empty. It doesn't take much of an effort for that to happen. And what happens? The heart grows cold and you backslide in the heart. And then you go fully into the world. You know, Christ's sheep will not be offended at Christ's voice, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. And yet there are many offended at the word of God because it challenges us. Because the word of God speaks to us and deals with us, convicts us, compels us to go on. Sometimes we battle and we fight because we're men and women of flesh. And the word of God is spirit. God who at sundry times, divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Chapter 1, verse 1. And then by the time we look down in, in our reading in verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So he sends his son the word of God. God has so many times divers matters speak. And now he's speaking by his son. And in verse 3 of chapter 2, he says, The Lord spoke to us. And he confirmed his word to us. And so they handed it to you and I. And God, the Father, he exalts his son, lifts his son up, and he says, If you won't hear the prophets, and you won't hear the preacher, you won't hear the evangelists, he says, Then hear my son and what he says. Oh, friend, will you hear what Christ says tonight? Will you hear what the the words of the Lord Jesus are tonight to us? I'm going to make this simple tonight. I'm going to show you some of the verses just picked here and there. I'm going to keep them all in John's gospel just because it was easier for you if you want to flick quickly. John chapter 3 and verse 3. The Lord Jesus says to Nicodemus, the man who came to him by night, the man who came and wanted to know the difference in Christ and the other teachers. He says, you're from God. He says, I know you're from God. No man can do the things that thou doest except thou be from God, he says. And Jesus replies to him in John chapter 3, verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the man be born again, Notice, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If someone isn't born again, they can't even see, in other words, they can't even perceive the kingdom. Do you know how blind the unsaved are? They're so blind that they're dead. 
They cannot grasp hold of it, nor see it, nor lay hands on it, nor understand it, except the Holy Spirit come and waken them up. Can you point to the day and the hour when the Holy Spirit came and regenerated your heart and has woken you up? Except the man be born again, he cannot see, even perceive the kingdom. Speak of spiritual things to your friends who are unsaved or or your work colleagues or your family. They look at you as if you've grown four heads. Can't perceive it. It takes the Spirit of God to move in a sovereign move and in a sovereign way for them to be able to understand. But rejoice when someone comes wanting to know more about Christ. In John chapter 3 and verse 5, in the same chapter, the Lord Jesus says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot, listen, enter into the kingdom of God. Not only can they not perceive it nor understand it, but they never enter into it unless God speaks to them. Unless God deals with them. Unless God awakens them from their death, their spiritual sleep of death, unless God opens their eyes, See, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that know not the gospel. The devil has blinded like a blindfold put on men and women that they can't see the things of God. But when God comes, when the Holy Ghost comes, he moves on the heart and on the mind. And suddenly these people, you and I and others, begin to understand the things of God, that I'm a sinner and he's a great saviour. Except the man be born of water and of a spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It means, except the man or woman is born from above. That's what it means, born from above. And then in verse 7, the Lord Jesus says, marvel not. Don't you be surprised. When I say unto you, you must, you must, you must be born again. You must be born from above. Sorry for quoting hymns tonight because I don't usually do too many of them. Sometimes I sing them instead. Born of the Spirit, with life from above, into God's family divine, justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine. And it's because of that wonderful day when as a sinner I came. What a wonderful Savior we have took off the offer of grace he did proffer. He saved me. We'll praise his dear name. For heaven came down and shed it out. What did it do? Glory filled my soul. There on the cross the Savior made me whole. My sins were washed away. My night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. In John chapter 3, in verse 16, everyone knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The next verse tells us, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth Pardon me, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Men and women under condemnation, the church doesn't need to condemn people. We just need to preach the word because they're already under condemnation when they're not saved, like you were and like I was. In John 6, these are the words of the Son. This is what the Son has said, the Son of God. This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. These are the words of the Son. How spake unto us by his Son that the Lord spoke to us in verse 3 of our reading. In John chapter 6 and verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Here he's saying to a world that's trying to fill the void, trying to fill the emptiness of the heart and of the mind and with alcohol, drugs and relationships or whatever else. 
says, you want to be filled? Come to me. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me, she that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth in me shall never thirst. In other words, he, he satisfies you. There's none but Christ can satisfy. But Christ and Christ alone. Listen to what he says in John 8 and verse 12. From John 6 now to verse, John 8 and verse 12. I'm just going to show you the seven I am's of John's gospel. This is what the, the Son, the Lord Jesus, has said. And we're to hear him. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Notice what he's saying here. He says, I am the light of the world. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. You're not walking in the darkness where you don't know where you're walking until death comes to our door and we end up falling into an abyss. He says, you'll have the light of life. You know what John says in John chapter 1? In him, in Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. And he says, if you want life and you want light, he says, I am it. Then walk with me, trust in me. Come to me. And then in John chapter 10 and verse 9, he says, I am the door. By me, if any man shall enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And if you're taking notes, uh, Hosea 7, the one that's about the house of Israel being scattered before they were scattered. Notice here, the Lord says, I am the door. How do I get to heaven? Through Christ. How do I get into the kingdom? Through Christ. But I am the door. By me, if any man shall enter in, he shall be saved and going on out and find pastor. Let's look at verse 10. He says, the thief, the devil he means, the enemy. The thief cometh not before to steal, to kill and to destroy. The word steal here is the word klepto. It's where we get our word kleptomaniac from. When someone has an illness, as it were, it's called sin, by the way, but someone has an illness, he's a kleptomaniac, she's a kleptomaniac. You know, you couldn't leave your, your wallet or your purse down that have it in their pocket. You leave them in your house, you bring them for dinner, they stick the knives and forks in their pocket. They can't help themselves, as it were, because of their depraved nature. Then the enemy loves to lure them away with these lust on the sin. And they just steal everywhere and everything they can lay their hands on. And they gather it all up, a kleptomaniac. And the thief cometh not but for to steal. He's a kleptomaniac, the Lord's saying. This one doesn't love you. He hates you. And it says that to kill, and it's the word thuo, and it means, gives the idea of a sacrifice. As a sacrifice. In other words, he wants to slaughter you. Gives the idea of an animal that's sacrificed on an altar. And as that's sacrificed on the God, they would recognize what Christ is saying. Going back to Hosea 7, it will recognize in the house of Israel where the, Lord, where, where the Lord was speaking through the prophets. And the enemy was going to come and steal them and kill them and destroy them. The Assyrian army was coming and he was warning of it. Now Jesus is saying, taking it really from there. And he's saying, listen, there's one who's coming to steal from you. And it's all spiritual stealing, working through men even to hurt you. To kill. And as you sacrifice on your altar and the smoke rises up to God, Jesus is taking this and he's saying, that is what the devil wants to do with you, to put you on his altar. He wants you dead like that animal is dead. He wants you slaughtered like the animal was slaughtered. Brothers and sisters, here's the wonderful thing. See the one whom we have to listen to and pin back our ears and hear the Son, the Lord, who's taught us and showed us and spoken to us. He is the one who went to the cross for us. He was the one who was nailed hand and foot for us. He was the one who shed his precious blood for us, hanging between heaven and earth, between two thieves, one on the left hand and one on the right. And he was on the altar of the cross. And yet he says, I love him. He's my beloved and I give him for you. And the enemies of this life and world took him 
and crucified him. The scripture tells us if they had a knew who they were crucifying, see, they couldn't realize it. They wouldn't have done it at all. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. The word means, is a lot, word apolomai. And again, it meant to be put away in punishment as Israel were. But it means here to be lost, to perish, to be marred, to be ruined, to be punished, to be punished right to destruction. How many of us before we were saved, before we come to know Christ, how many of us here would be honest enough to say the devil had his way with you more than once? How many are marred by the things of the past? How many in this room are marred by what the devil has done, what the enemy of the soul has done? How many were marred because of circumstances and situations, because of our depraved nature and because of humanity and the way that we were and the devil just loved to jump into the middle of that? Destroy us. We were lost. We were undone. We've come with hurts and scars. And the devil done that. He done it with me. I didn't know whether it was coming or going. I didn't know whether my life was going to continue on. I didn't know where I was going to get my next alcoholic drink. I didn't know where I was going to get my next fix of drugs. I didn't even know where I was going to sleep some nights. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Boy, I remember one time I was preaching in the corn market in Belfast. Do you know what big, whatever it is, the curdy-wordy thing is in Belfast? I don't know what it's meant to be. And right where that was, used to be a bandstand. Before that, it was a little water fountain. If you, I'm not old enough to remember, maybe, but maybe some of you are. I remember it a bit. We used to preach all over the country, just out in the open air. I was full of as they say, beans and buttermilk, you know. I was just loving life because Christ had rescued me and I wanted everybody to know in the whole wide world. And I remember we got up and we got under the, under the, the bandstand right in the middle of Corn Market and the people are walking all over the place. And it was a busy, busy day. All the shops were open and I'll never forget it. And so we're standing singing for a while and someone steps up to the microphone and preaching for a while and everyone seems they're blind and they're deaf and they're dead. They don't want to hear it and they don't want to listen to it. It was as if we were getting nowhere, as if the word of God wasn't having any impact anywhere. And so they call me up, says, Ken, do you want to preach the word? I I'm going to preach. So I get up behind the mic and I'm looking around me and I'm going, Lord, help me. What do we do here? Look at them, Lord. They're, they don't want to know. This is my thoughts. So suddenly behind the mic, I started shouting, Stop, thief! Stop thief. And everybody stopped and started doing this. Stop thief. Stop. Stop that thief. And everyone started to look around. The whole crowd, everyone was looking around. You know, maybe some wee old woman has been robbed or maybe some handbag has been taken and they've ran away with it. And, you know, and they're looking for the thief. Oh, they're mad at this thief. Like They're really looking for him. And if they could catch him, they would. Stop thief, stop thief, stop thief. And they all were looking all over, standing still, looking at me and looking around and looking at me as if, where is he? And I went, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's stealing your children. He's killing our people. He's destroying lives and marriages and homes and families. He's destroying them. Well, didn't I have an audience? So stop that thief. Stop thief. The thief cometh not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy, Jesus said. You know the wonderful thing about it is he didn't stop there. What are we going to do, Lord? He says, I am come. He says, I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Oh, how glorious is it in the ears of the sinner, in the ears of the man and the woman unsaved to hear that Christ had come to give me abundant life, eternal life, everlasting life, and to forgive me of all of my sin. 
Stop thief, brother. Stop thief, sister. Because he wants to ruin your family and mine. He says in John chapter 10 and verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The word good here is the word kalos. Kalos. I am the kalos shepherd. And it means beautiful, handsome, winsome, attractive. Jesus was saying, I attract people. I attract all sorts of people. I attract the lowest of the low and the worst of the worst. I attract good people who think they're saved and they're not because they're just good. And I, if I be lifted up from off the earth, I will draw all men, it means all types of men, unto me. I am the good shepherd, beautiful, handsome, winsome, attractive shepherd. And you see, the, the, the Greeks applied this to everything which was distinguished in its form. I need to catch this. The Greeks put this into sentences and into their language to do with everything that was distinguished in its form. It speaks of excellence, goodness, and usefulness. Christ is distinguished above all others and above all else. He is distinguished in his excellence. What an excellent spirit! What an excellent sacrifice. What an excellent savior. What an excellent shepherd. An excellent redemption through the blood of Christ. It means that he is distinguished in his goodness. There's none good but one that is God, he said to the man who came running to him, calling him good master. There's none good but one that is God. And he was the only good one. It means excellent in the, pardon me, distinguished in his usefulness, in his eminence, distinguished in his preciousness. His birth was precious, born of the Holy Ghost, through a virgin's womb. His life was distinguished. It was precious because he was God and of very God, man of very man, God and man at the same time, God clothed in humanity, dirty clothed in flesh. He was distinguished in his preciousness because of his life, his impeccable life. Christ had an impeccable life, sinless and spotless. He was impeccable. And he was distinguished in his preciousness because of his precious blood. You're not redeemed with corruptible things after the vain conversations of your father like silver and gold. Notice, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot, without blemish, says Peter. He's precious and he's distinguished above all other things that are precious. And he's precious and and he is admirable. He is commendable. He is magnificent. He is valuable and he is virtuous. John 11 and 25, he says unto Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Verse 26, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Well, sure, there's Christians living and believing and they're dying. But that's because he's talking about the resurrection. When he comes again, those who are alive and remain will be cut up to meet the Lord in the air. And then he says, believest thou this? Can I ask you, do you believe him when he says it? Do you believe what the Son of God is telling us? 
Do you believe what the scriptures are saying? Do you believe that he's so precious that there's none like him, none beside him, none before him, nor to come after him, that he alone is God and the Savior of mankind? Then he says in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the hodos, the way. He is the, the, the road to travel, it means. That means, gives the idea of your manner of thinking. It's his way. He's the road. The truth there is the aletheia, and it means everything true, absolutely true. You see, friends, a, a version of truth, a version of truth or a truth will lose its, or a truth will lose its essence, its nature and its character. If it's just a version of truth, if Christ is just a version of someone's truth, then it will lose its essence, will lose its whole nature of truth. The whole character of truth is gone. If Christ is not the absolute truth, but a version. It's not an opinion of truth, nor an interpretation of truth, as then truth becomes tainted, and therefore, really, it isn't truth anymore. You know when somebody tells you a story, there's three sides, isn't that right? Your side, their side, and the truth. You know why? Because in our version of no matter the truth, that's how much we need truth. That's how much we need truth as Christ the truth. He alone is perfection and truth. Because you and I have affections. And our affections can be applied into the truth as we see it. And so the truth may be tainted with an affection or a thought. But Christ, the truth, is absolute and perfect in truth. He says in John 8 and 32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He says in John 17 and verse 17, Father, sanctify them through thy, 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 word, thy truth. Thy word is truth. His word is truth. Boy, when I think of Pontius Pilate, in John 18 and verse 38, he comes to him. The Jews are crying one thing. They're making up things about him. The Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees are all baying for his blood. And their Pilate doesn't know what to do. They're saying they're telling the truth. After all, they're, you know, they're, they're religious people. They don't tell lies. And Pilate, confused, comes to Christ. And he says these words, what is truth? What is truth? And there before him, truth personified. There before him, truth, absolutely truth. In a fleshy body, beaten, bloodied, battered and bruised. There he is personified. The truth of the Father. The uniqueness of Christ is found when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The uniqueness and the exclusivity of Christ is all wrapped up in this verse. The Lord Jesus Christ is the exegesis of truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is the exegesis of the Father. You have eisegesis and exegesis. If you're reading the scripture, some people like to have their, what they want the scripture to say for them. And they look at the scripture and they read into it, which it has no bearing on what the scripture is saying at all. That's called eisegesis. Exegesis is the scripture speaking out to the man and to the woman what the truth of it is. Oh, and there's all sorts of people will come with their ideas to say, you know, I can live in sin because I've found a wee line here in the whole of Scripture. And they're reading into it to be able to live the way they want, to do what they want, how they want, when they want, and where they want. But the exegesis of the Word speaks out and tells us not only how we should live, but whom we should worship. Christ is out of the Father. 
John 15 and 1, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. The book of Hebrews is telling us, listen to him. The vine was a symbol of Israel. Know what he's saying? I'm the true Israelite. I'm what Israel was meant to be. I'm what you're meant to be and what you're meant to be, he says. And you couldn't keep the law of God, so I kept it for you. And if you're in me, then you'll bear fruit. And I love this one, John 19. You're listening to the son, pin back your ears to what he's going to say to you right now. He's on the cross and he's dying. He's about to expire to give up his life. And he says, it is finished. It is finished. Hear the sum tonight when he says it is finished. So, as I look to come to a close, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says these words, For the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. See the term there, recompense of reward. It's a big long word to give us the reading and rendering of this. It's the word misthapodosia. I know some people will write this, so I'll spell it in English rendering for you. M-I-S-T-H-A-P-O-D-O-S-E-A-H. Misthapodosia. The recompense of reward. Do you know what it really means? It says there's a payday coming. The recompense of reward is it's going to be a payday. Payday. For example, I read it this morning. I'll not hang around here. Hebrews 10, verse 35 and 36 says, cast not away therefore your confidence which hath a great recompense of reward. If you keep pressing on with God to the end, there's a great payday. Not for salvation. This is because you're saved. You don't work to be saved. You work because you are saved. We serve the Savior, not for salvation, but because we love him. And there's a payday that's coming. And notice this in Hebrews 11 and verse 26, it says this. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Speaking of Moses growing up in Pharaoh's household. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses in the house of Pharaoh. He respected more that which was invisible than all the treasures of the great empire of Egypt. There are five R's in that verse. Reproach, riches, respect, recompense, and reward. Reproach means he took it on himself to be reviled, defamed, and to suffer. And to suffer. Sure, Christ when he was reviled, reviled not again himself. Moses did this in Egypt. They thought Moses was mad. The second one is riches, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. The word riches means the fullness and abundance of all his possessions stood and set before Moses and Moses looked at them. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. How many of you, how many of us, if all the riches were there and all the pleasures and all the worldly goods, I had a bit of a laugh the other day. Someone posted a a photo. It was Glenn, wasn't it? A photo of a car. It was a Lamborghini in Bam Bridge. I think Lurgan, was it? I couldn't see the street. A Lamborghini in Lurgan. I wouldn't leave a Lamborghini in Lurgan. I wouldn't even drive through Lurgan and Lamborghini either. <laughs> Come to think of it. Sorry, all you Lurgan folk, I'm only joking. <laughs> I'm from Belfast, so what do you think? That's, that's even worse. And there it was, and I seen it, and I thought, lovely car. He says, I prefer an Austin Martin myself. I said, well, when I get rid of my Skoda, I think I'll buy one of those Lamborghinis. 
beautiful. I, I don't covet it, but it's a nice thing. Can you imagine all the pleasures of Egypt, the prestige, the position, the power. Can you just imagine what Moses was offered? And yet he says, no, because I see past this world and I want to move away from this wickedness of this world and I want to press on for the kingdom of God. In other words, Christ. See the one the Father says, I love him. The Father is exalting through the spirit and the pen of the writer of Hebrews. Look at him. Thou art my son, the stay of I begot thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever. Moses says, I love him too. Would you be willing to give up your little or your much for Christ? There's nothing wrong with having. But would you be willing if he let it on you? The word respect here, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. It means to look away from something and to take your eyes and fasten them with a gaze onto something else. All the riches of Egypt and Moses looking at it, he turned his head away from it. Hearing the calls, he fastened his eyes on God and his call in life. And he gazed upon the Christ. The old saying is in the scriptures, look and live. When you look at Christ, you'll live. Well, I can say gaze and you'll be sanctified. You gaze long enough at him and he'll sanctify you because your eyes will go nowhere else, to no one else, to nothing else but him. Brother, can I ask you, it's not a condemnation. I'm saying it with pathos. I'm saying it with my heart. Sister, why do some of you like the world? Why do you want to go to the things of the world, the music of the world, the concerts of the world, the ungodliness of it? What, what is it that draws you to it? The recompense of reward is the payment of your wages. So, in Romans 6 and 23, it says the wages of sin is death. But, ah, big doors swinging small hinges in the scripture. The wages of sin is death and the door shut in all of our faces, no hope of heaven, no hope of the kingdom, no hope of salvation. The wages of sin is death. Ah, big doors, swinging in small hinges. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a little word I want to just show you as we shut this, round this message up. In Hebrews chapter 2, please. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of the reward. See the word transgression? It means every part of God's law that was broken. Look back because there was judgment all along. That's what the word's telling us. There was judgment all along. Don't think it won't happen again. See the word disobedience. The word disobedience is the word parakoe. Parakoe. And it comes from para, where we get parable and paraclete for the Holy Spirit. It means to cut across or to lay along down side in order to make a, a comparison with. And okay means to hear. So something that came and cut across and walked alongside or led alongside that you can hear. Remember, hear the Son. Hear the Lord who has spoken. Every disobedience, parakoe. In fact, in Romans 5, my mind can't really think of the verse. I think it's about 25. It says, for by one man's sin, death entered into the world. See the word sin is parakoe. 
Do you know what it means? Failing to listen when God was speaking. Failing to listen when God was speaking. Is there someone tonight and you're failing to listen when God is speaking? See, the word in Romans 5, for by one man's sin, death entered into the world. Uh, or sorry, by one man's disobedience, pardon me, sin entered into the world. The word disobedience there is the same parakoet. God came in the cool of the day and walked with Adam in the garden. And he says, Adam, of all the trees of the garden, I must freely eat thereof. But of the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou mayest not eat thereof. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, Adam heard him, but he failed to listen. That's the word parakore. He heard a miss. That's what it means. He heard a miss. He heard with the ear, but not with the heart. And he sinned, and we all fell under Adam's curse. And here he says in the book of Hebrews is saying this, that every transgression of the breaking of God's law and every disobedience, every man and woman who failed to listen when God was speaking. He says, hear the son. God of these last days has spoken unto us by his son. And in verse three of chapter two, spoken by the Lord himself. Failing to listen when God was speaking. Hearing amiss, we're as bad as Adam in the garden. We're as bad as Adam when he fell. And death came because of it. So how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Not the idea of that word escape, it means, I'm not going to the whole big word now, time's flowing. It gives the idea of someone who gets up and runs out. It won't be the first meeting I've preached in and somebody's got up and run out. They weren't running for me, they were running from the word. They're running from the word, They're running from the Lord. In fact, there was a woman here last week and she was in tears. She should have came to see me in the morning because the Lord was speaking to her and she ran home. And she came back in out that night and she got saved last Sunday night. You can only run so far. There's no hiding. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? The idea is, where will you run to? Where will you run to? Run home? Close your door? Turn out the light? Jump in the bed and put a duvet over your head. He's there. And he'll continue to speak. And man's voice is silent. Little illustration, I'm finished, okay? I was at that bandstand another day. Place was packed. And we're preaching away, and there's a few steps up like this. I'm standing up like this, and way in that distance I heard over even our microphones and our amplification, I heard this voice shouting and bawling. Couldn't make out what it was saying. I seen people moving and this boy, he had his hands in the air doing this, shouting and bawling, flying at me. He wasn't stopping. And as he got closer, I could hear a few expletives. What he was going to do to me and how he was going to kill me and call me for everything up and down. He, he was possessed with the devil. And I was standing at the like this here, with a microphone, there's big long steps around like this. And I seen him coming up this way, and all the people were looking at him were shouting. And it was like the Red Sea partner all getting out of his road. And I thought, boy, they're getting out of his road. This guy's flying at me. He's going, to, he's, he's going to do something to me. And I'll be honest, in my head, I thought I'm going to do that. <laughs> I had the upper advantage, you know. I'm, going, and I, I'm trying to preach and say, Lord, what do I do here? And he came running up, and it just came into my head. And I saw a great white throne in him who sat on it. And by that time, he had reached up the steps, and he went, you thought someone put his hand on their chest, his chest, stopped him stone dead. Stone dead he was. As if he couldn't move. 
the anger in his face. His eyes were black like pools of ink. And I saw him, the face of him, who sat upon the throne, I said. He spun on his heel and he ran down Ann Street in Belfast, squealing, shouting, bawling. Couldn't get away quick enough. And I says, and there is found no place for them. I'll tell you something, friend. You can go home tonight. You'll find no place for you. Fall on us, they'll say. And hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. God bless us tonight. God bless his word to us tonight. For the glory of Christ.